following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. We're in this series, uh, Ephesians, which is really looking at the kind of church that we want to be. The kind of church that we're learning to be, the kind of church that we desire to be, the the kind of church that we have deep convictions about. And so we've addressed a number of topics over the last few weeks, and we're in part eight today. And today we're looking at this idea of being a growing church. I'm I'm not going to lie to you, I'm going to be very honest. We want to be a growing church. I believe it's, it's God's desire, it's God's intention that we would be a growing church. But here's the thing, when we think of, immediately I've said that, growing church, we immediately think of bums on seats. Or if you're anything like me, you immediately begin to think in terms of, that's what it means. Attendance is growing. There are more people coming. That's what it's all about. That's what a growing church is. I spend quite a lot of my time with other church leaders. I've just spent four days this week away with church leaders. And generally what happens when church leaders get together is they ask each other how things are going in their churches. And what they really mean is, tell me about your ABCs, which is your attendance your buildings and your cash that's really what I kind of bothered about that's what we said kind of because we're all humans and we sort of instinctively think like that and so by that measure New Community Church is doing pretty well our attendance is pretty good we've got more people coming along every Sunday across our venues and meetings this year than we did this time last year our average attendance is going up. It's, it's pretty good. It has been for the last few years. It's not, not explosive growth, but steady growth. We have seasons where it gets quicker and seasons where it slows down. But attendance is, is pretty good on the whole. I mean, we're coming to the summer now, and so it's like sun comes out and people don't come. But apart from that, we are gen- you guys. But apart from that, we more, all right? Buildings. We're doing all right for buildings. God's blessed us massively with this one. We had a bit of a battle to get the one in Elton, but we've got it. And God's blessed us with this one. It's far from perfect. There's all sorts of things that are wrong with it. But, uh, but hey, we got a building. We are in a privileged place. Cash, well, okay. Not quite growing in the steady rate that the attendance does in terms of giving. We're so grateful to everyone who does give, but we're doing okay. Not kind of growing in the same way as attendance, but these things tend to have a little bit of a kind of lag effect behind it. And we don't talk about money too much in this church, really. Certainly don't talk about it anywhere near as much as Jesus did, which means we probably ought to talk about it a little bit more, but we're not going to go there today. On the kind of measure of ABCs, we kind of seem to be doing pretty well. And therefore, we must be healthy, right? Because healthy things grow. How many times have you heard that, particularly in churches? I've been in lots of conferences. Healthy things grow. And they just grow, and they grow, and they grow, and they get bigger, and they get bigger, and they get bigger. Except they don't, do they? (laughs) Like, think about the natural world for a moment. Healthy things, normal things, animals, whatever, don't just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. All right? There are no ladybirds flying around the size of elephants. That would be very, very strange. Okay? Things in nature grow and get bigger in accordance with the measure with which God has designed them to. Okay? So healthy things, I mean, just think like people rights. Okay? People don't just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when they do, people start to talk to us about what? Our health. That ain't necessarily healthy. So what is healthy growth? When we look in the, in the animal kingdom, the natural world and all the rest of it, what do we see? We see things grow healthy. If they're healthy, they they grow in the measure to which God has ordained them to, and then they multiply, and then they become fruitful. They produce more. That's what we see in the natural world. And yet we tend to think in terms of 
church growth, we tend to think bigger, 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 bigger. Don't get me wrong. We want to grow bigger. We want to see more people, all right? But we want to make sure we grow in relation to how God talks about growth. Ephesians chapter 4, this is all about growth. This is all about God's vision, Paul's vision, God's vision for church growth. I want to read the first 16 verses, but we're really going to focus in on verses 7 to 16. Starting at verse 1, this is Paul writing, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This really, these first few verses here are what it is to be a Christian. If you, if where you'll see in a moment at the end of verse 15, it talks about Christ being the head, and it says the rest of us, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you are part of the body. We are part of His body, one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay, that is what it really is to be a Christian. There's a oneness to it. We're united. Yes, we're a whole bunch of individuals, but we are united in one body as brothers and sisters in Christ. God's grace is for everyone. If you're a Christian here today, that is what you are part of. God has extended his grace to you. Okay, It's the same grace that he extends to the person next to you and the person in front of you and the person behind you and to me as well standing here. We are one in Christ. And yet we see, and as we come into this next verse, verse 7, there is a uniqueness for individuals. There are different graces for different people. Let's carry on. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So his grace is extended to all of us. We become part of his family. We're part of this one one faith, one Lord, one baptism. But he's apportioned different grace to different people, different gifts. Okay, And they are unique in the sense to you. You might have a similar kind of gift to somebody else. You might have the same unique incentive to you. God has called you and gifted you uniquely. You haven't earned these gifts. You haven't done something in order that he says, oh, right, I've spotted that one. That will be for you. No, no. They're grace gifts. He has given to them. They're not some that are better than others. We don't, in our body, look at and think, well, my left foot is definitely better than my right foot. My right knee is better than my left knee. I, mean, I think my right knee probably does look better than my left knee. But it's not a sense in which I go, well, that bit is more important than that bit. And that tendon, that that's just not important. I'll do without that. There is, a, there is a sense in which the oneness of it, and yet each part of my body has a unique gift. Exactly the same in the church. And then we read verse 8 through verse 10 that this grace giver is the ascended Jesus Christ. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So it's this idea that the ascended Jesus, the one who's gone back to heaven, has now given each of us gifts, but he's also given the church, us broadly, the body, uh, some special gifts in terms of the gift of leadership. We're about to see that here. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So God has gifted each one 
unique gifts to play your part in the body, but he's also gifted us as a whole leadership as a gift. It doesn't mean leaders are better than anyone else. It doesn't mean leaders are more significant than anyone else. It means leadership and the gift of leaders is a gift to the church. And so we see here, given apostles. Now remember, we're not getting into this. Some people say, well, they're not for today. We don't have apostles today. No, you're right. We don't have capital A apostles who wrote scripture, who saw Jesus in that sense today. But it's the ascended Jesus. And we could spend ages getting into Greek if you really want to. But I don't want to bore like every single one of you, apart from the one person who's interested in this, to tears. Other than to say, it's the ascended Jesus. All right, which means these gifts are still for today. There are no capital A apostles. There isn't anyone like Paul walking around. But the apostolic gift with a small a, if you like, which is all about establishing churches, preaching the gospel in new places, taking the church and planting churches into new places which don't yet have any churches, father churches, look after them, ensure that sound doctrine is being taught, make sure that they're doing what they should be. That gift is very much alive today. And we see prophets. These are men and women who speak the now word of God to the church. They're not people who are writing scripture. We've not got any Isaiahs walking around or anything like that. But the people who speak the now word of God to the church. We have evangelists, men and women who preach the gospel and help the church to be better at sharing the gospel with people. And then we see here we have shepherds and teachers. This is like two gifts rolled into one. Two for the price of one if you like. And we use the words from scripture, elders and pastors kind of interchangeably. And they're responsible for shepherding, for pastoring and teaching the church all right then we see the purpose of all these gifts this is why they're a gift to the church verse 12 is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of christ the whole purpose of all this leadership gift is to equip not to do everything but is to equip the saints to equip the body to do the works of ministry which basically means to serve according to the gifts that God has called you. So we have this idea he's called everybody grace is his portion to everybody he's given individual people gifts he's given the church broadly this gift of leadership not to do all the ministry so many churches may get this wrong so many people think well if you're the leader you need to do everything no 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 it's quite clear here the role of leadership is to equip the body to equip the saints to do the works of ministry. It's not all about me doing everything. It's about my role. My job is to ensure that you guys are equipped and released to go and do it and get on with it yourselves. doesn't mean I don't have to do anything. I'm part of the body as well, but it's not all down to just those leaders. Jesus has called you. He's called you in a general sense, but he's called you in a specific sense. He's gifted you. He's given you things to do. He's placed, thing, he's placed gifts within you that means only you can do it. No one else can. You have a unique part to play. And when we understand that and we get that, we suddenly get that what Sundays are all about. They're not about being entertained. Come in and well, sing the songs I like and do what I want. Sunday, the purpose here is to be equipped. It's to come into the presence of God with the rest of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the body. To come and encounter him. To be refreshed in him. To receive from him. To be encouraged by one another. To minister to one another. In order that we can go and do the works of ministry throughout the rest of the week. And that can look like a multitude of things. We tend to think works of ministry, it just means spiritual stuff within the church. No, it doesn't. Works of service and things that he's called you to, for most people, is going to actually be out there, what you do Monday to Friday, not just in here. And we make a mistake if we just think it's just about gifts that happen on the platform. This is a tiny percentage of what goes on in life. The real deal is the stuff that's going on out there. The real deal is the stuff that people, normal people, everyday people like you are doing out in the workplace, out in the world, in your home, in your street, in your community, every single day of the year. And then we reach verses 13 to 16, which is the major theme 
of this passage. Until, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what really is going on in this passage. It says grow up. This passage is all about God's vision for a growing church. And if we want to be shaped by the word of God, which we do, that's what, one of the things we want to say. We want to do everything we do. We want to see it within the pages of scripture. So if you're a guest and you're coming amongst us, you can check this out. That's different from my experience. That seems a bit odd. Well, you can go to the pages of scripture and you should be able to find something there. That's what we're trying to do. And if it's not there, then we need to have a conversation about it and work out how we arrived at where we did. But here's the thing. If this is God's measure for growth, growing up, then it needs to be something that we give ourselves to too. Yes, we're going to grow numerically, but I don't want to fall, and we are, but I don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that that equates success. Because Jesus is about a growing church, but really he's about a growing up church. You see, Paul's vision from these verses is for church growth that's linked with and connected with maturity. It's about growing up. I mean, I, I love my kids, right? I absolutely... I mean, I love my kids. I love them as kids. They're five, three, and one. I love them as kids. And then amongst the chaos, they're kind of, they are often a lot of fun. But what I really want them to do is grow up. Okay? That's what I re- I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love my kids. I love them as kids. And in amongst the chaos, it really is chaos. It was just, the, just a few weeks ago, we had a welcome lunch here. And I was just talking to somebody, a new family who come along. And they're a little bit concerned. They've got little kids. And they're thinking, I'm not quite sure. My kids are a little bit rowdy and a little bit running around. And, and, what's, and when I'm talking, I'm saying, no, seriously, you don't got nothing to worry about. You're absolutely fine in this church. Your kids are not going to be the worst behaved kids. And they were like, well, I'm just like. And as we're talking, one of the kids went and nicked a whole bunch of fruit and ran off like with it. And the mum was like, ah! And dad was like going, I told you. And I said, well, seriously. Seriously, just hang around long enough and, and you'll discover that your kid is nowhere near the worst. Literally, as we're having this conversation, someone comes around the corner and says, uh, James, you better go to the disabled Lou. I was like, why would I go to the disabled Lou? Because your son, your one-year-old, has just flooded it. <laughs> you mean he's left the taps on? So I go around and there's literally Hannah and Melinda and a bunch of other people with mops because what he's done is he's taken toilet roll, put it into the hand basin, turned the taps on and left it. <laughs> And the place is flooded, like all down the whole corridor and stuff. He's just done it all. I'm thinking, ah. I said to this, this couple I'm talking to, I said, see, you've got to be honest, your kids are fine here. <laughs> they are nowhere near the worst kids, all right? I get a text two days ago from Hannah. I was just like, I'd been aware of these leaders thing. And I said, how's it going? But, boy, it's been a little bit stressful. She went, you're not going to believe this. He's done it again. At Oasis, he'd done exactly the same thing again. My eldest kid was the first kid to be kicked out of creche. All right, they actually kicked him out. They said, I don't think he can be in here anymore. He has to go to the older age group because he just ran amok on where we were going. They had to lock every, all the cupboards because he used to just take everything out and run around with it. Here's the thing. I love my kids. I love the fact that they're a bit chaotic and naughty. Ah, man, I want them to grow up. <laughs> and there's all a whole bunch of people who've got kids older and they say, no, no, you need to cherish these years. And I'm like, I think you're only saying that because you've forgotten what it's like at three in the morning to change a wet bed. There is nothing to cherish there. 
all right, I am learning to cherish these years. I do enjoy it. It is fun, okay? But here's the thing. I want them to grow up. There's nothing worse than a kid not growing up when they should. My eldest is in reception. He's going into year one in September. It is not going to go well for him if he behaves like my one-year-old and floods the toilets every few weeks. And even more seriously, no one likes an adult who behaves like a kid. Like we all know him. Let's be honest. Most of us were that adult once. I was. Stop behaving like a kid. What do you mean I'm a kid? I'm not a kid. I'm 24. Like that. You're behaving like a kid. No, you're right. I need to grow up a bit. And this is what we're about. It's okay to behave like a kid when you're a kid. Paul's vision, God's vision for church growth is that we grow up. Yes, numerical growth will come. Yes, it really matters. Yes, one day we'll be part of a great number that no one can count. The global gathered church of Jesus Christ will be numerically enormous. But to be honest, that kind of comes second to this in terms of what we give our attention to. And so today I just... I just felt, as I was preparing this week, I just felt a real sense of, look, there's so many things are going right at the moment. Yeah, let's go. This is good. But let's not forget what's so important, where we need to focus and give our attention to. And so I just want to say a few things about marks of a growing up church. We haven't got long, just a few little things about what we're giving our attention to. And I'll just be honest with you, this is harder because it's way easier just than worry, just, ah, oh, who cares about growing up? Let's just all be kids and behave like that the whole time. That's so much easier. Discipline of my children is way harder than just letting them run amok. It's not fun sometimes to discipline my kids either. Don't worry, this talk isn't going into you're about to get a series of discipline, okay? I'm just saying, the whole process of helping my kids grow up, it's just easier to let them run amok and just behave like kids the whole time. But part of growing up is saying, no, that's not how you behave, and we need to focus on this and remember this. What we're about is glorifying the name of Jesus. What we're about is making his name famous. We're not about the name of new community. We're not about my name. I don't, I don't care if I never stand on a platform ever again other than this one. I'm not interested in any of that. We're interested in glorifying the name of Jesus. And what brings him the most glory is when we grow up in him. Not just about building something that's mega. That will come secondary. If it ever comes at all, this is the most important thing. So a few things I just wanted to say. A growing up church, first of all, focuses on making and growing disciples. Now, well, obviously, every church does that. But this is real important. So verse 15, we're to grow up in every way. Grow up into what? We'll grow up into disciples. Our relentless focus needs to be on making disciples. That's the goal. And you can say, well, hang on, I thought the goal was mission. We're all about mission. We've talked about mission to the ends of the earth, to the nations, loads of people, 880,000 people. This is what we've talked about endlessly for the last few years. And I say, yeah, it is. And because we're all about that, we're also all about this. See, this is Paul's, this is God's vision for church growth. Growth is connected with maturity. We want to grow wide, as in like lots of people, but at the same time, we want to grow very deep. And we make a massive mistake by separating these two things out. And the truth is, some of us, and this is a little bit of a stereotypical kind of thing, but some of us have a bias, most of us have a bias to one way or the other. We kind of make out this line that is missions at that end and discipleships at that end, and we kind of find ourselves naturally falling one way or the other. So some of us, when we hear like the Great Commission, go and make disciples, all we hear is the go. And it's like, come on, let's go. Mission, mission, mission. Let's go, go, go. Let's do all this stuff. And it's like, what do you mean we have another prayer meeting and another time of worship? And when we're in the prayer meeting, we spend most of it singing anyway. This is just kind of, what are we, oh, come on, we got to go, go, go. 
And then others on the other end of it are like, go and make disciples. Oh, disciples, I like that. That's sitting and having a coffee with someone and asking how they're doing. I can do that. I love that bit. Forget this mission. Put... And here's the thing. I, no one actually is like that. But there's that kind of like, well, maybe some of you are. But there's the, that's the kind of stereotype of the two ends of the spectrum. And we make, both ends make a mistake because it's not one or the other. It actually is the same thing. Go and make disciples is go. Go and find people who don't know Jesus, introduce them to Jesus, and teach them how to be like Jesus, how to follow Jesus, how to grow up in Jesus. Teach them to do all the stuff that Jesus did, how to worship, how to pray, how to heal the sick, how to live your life in a, honoring God, in a way of honoring God, how to read the Bible, how to tell other people about Jesus. And when they do that, they will start doing it to someone else, and they'll do it to someone else, and they'll do it to someone else, and they'll go and go again and again and again. Maturity and mission are two sides of the same coin. So we need to focus on growing disciples and we need to be really clear on what we mean by that because it's more than just two people getting together to talk about Jesus and it's more than just making people become Christians. Okay, the easy thing is just to go, let's just go for decisions, hands up in the air. Put your hands up for decision making, come Jesus, great, one there, one there, one there, yep, brilliant. We've had three this week, next week, yep. It's way more than that and it's way harder than that. You see, the moment you became a Christian, it wasn't the end of the race. It was the beginning of the start of the race. Jesus said, I've made disciples of you. So when you become a Christian, you become a disciple. And in New Testament, the Greek word for that is mathetes, okay, which just means pupil or learner. So every time you see the word disciple in the New Testament, you can insert the word learner. So a Christian, which by the way, the word Christian only mentions like two or three times in the New Testament versus this word learner, Matthew, which is mentioned like 268, 69 times. Okay, a Christian is someone who is defined as a Matthew, a learner, a disciple, a pupil. That is who you are the minute you became a Christian. And so a disciple is someone who is choosing in every area of their life to become more like Jesus. Every area, not just on Sundays. Every area, what you're doing this time tomorrow morning, what you're doing on Wednesday morning, what you're doing on Thursday night, what you do on Friday night, Saturday morning, are you be- workplace, home life, are you becoming more and more like Jesus? That's what it is to be a disciple. And why does this matter? Why am I stressing this? Because here's the thing, if we're serious about making disciples, it impacts the way we relate to one another. Because if we're just about converts, if we're just about hands up decisions, when someone begins to live their life not in accordance to the gospel, when they start making unwise decisions, when they start living in a life that is not honoring of Jesus, when they start sinning in, their, in the way they walk, when they start doing things that they really ought, shouldn't do, if we're just focused on, this, on converts and decisions, what we do is go, well, do you know what? It's okay, because at least they're a Christian, and that's all right. There's no challenge in that. It's like, well, because they've crossed the line, it's fine. How they behave, that's kind of their... But if we're serious about making disciples... We have a serious call upon us to go, do you know what? That's not okay. I see your life and you're, because in, I want to speak the truth to you, in love, you are not living your life in accordance with the gospel. You're not living in a way that glorifies Jesus. You're not living in a way that honors him. And so because we're about making disciples, I want to get alongside you and I want to bring challenge and I want to bring exhortation to you and I want to kind of encourage you and, and say, listen, you need to change the way you live. That's what it is to be a culture of disciple-making. Oh, it's okay, they're just a Christian, so it's not a problem. No, it is a problem. People will leave over this, because people do. Everyone loves the idea of a disciple-making church, and still people, until disciple-making starts to happen. Because it's hard. It's not nice. 
It's not fun when you're doing something you shouldn't and someone comes along and points it out. It happens to me all the time. I'm not sure you should be living like that. I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that's how, are you, how are you doing with this? How are you, are you honoring your wife properly because it doesn't seem like you are right? It's not comfortable. Everyone loves discipleship until the rubber hits the road. And it's hard. And we don't really like it very much. Here's the thing. If we want to live and build a church to the glory of God, we need to be serious about this. And we tend to think, well, discipleship is something that you need to organize or someone else needs to organize or we need a structure or a system. No, it's not. Discipleship starts first and foremost with a decision by you, by me, that I'm going to be a disciple of Christ. And I'm going to start first and foremost, the process of discipleship starts with me making a decision that I'm going to, the person I can influence the most is myself. And I'm going to disciple myself. And I'm going to grow deeper in doctrine. We see here, verse 14, we, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's literally the p- picture that we, there is of, of waves crashing and being knocked around. So I've become a Christian, everything's fine, and a wave comes and hits me and it knocks me over. And what that wave might be, it might be something of culture, it might be some teaching you read somewhere, it might be someone something says to you and you're like, because you're not steadfast in doctrine you don't know what the bible says it's like whoa okay so maybe that is true and i'll live like that now oh hang on a minute culture is now saying this about something which just a few years ago was so different well i need oh well this bible can't possibly be true that seems like a plausible argument i'll go with that and then someone comes along says hang on a minute you're not really this this is what really is going on here and you're like well that seems like a good idea and you're literally being tossed to and fro if you're not growing yourself and strengthening yourself in, in doctrine and in, in the word of God, then you're going to be tossed around. And here's the thing. There's a real serious issue here. The outworking of this has two serious implications if we're not grounded and rooted in the word of God. Because one, what happens is that we fail to spot error. So someone comes along and says, hey, listen, God loves you, right? And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And God wants the best for you. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if God loves you and God wants the best for you and you want to do that thing, that sin issue, give in to that temptation, look at that stuff you shouldn't, pursue that relationship you shouldn't, God loves you, right? And God wants the best for you and God wants you to be happy. And so you do that. Because it all works logically. And you stand there and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you give yourself to that. And you get this thing and you kind of go, well, we're under, and you kind of, because you're not really rooted, you kind of go, well, we're under grace as well. So actually God's okay with me doing that because grace means I can kind of do what I want because he loves me anyway. Nothing, and you, you mix it all up with a bit of truth that you've heard, a bit of truth you heard in a song and you go, God loves me. There's nothing he can do, I can do that's going to make him love me more or less. He wants me to be happy. This makes me feel happy. So-and-so over there says this is sin, but nah, God loves me. I'm going to go here. And we fall into license. And we start living in a way that we shouldn't. Whereas when you're rooted in doctrine, you go, hang on a minute. God does love me, yes. God does have it best for me, yes. That doesn't mean I get to do everything I want. It doesn't mean I give in to every single moment because actually God is working something in me. He's changing me and shaping me to be more like Jesus Christ. And so I'm not just going to wander here, there, and everywhere. I'm going to be grounded and rooted here. And the second error that we make if we're not grounded and rooted in, in doctrine, in the word of God, is that we can fall into legalism. We can fall into feeling guilty. We can fall into a sense of condemnation the whole time. We can fall into a sense of going, oh man, I am a sinner. I've mucked up. I did that thing the other day and God must be cheesed off of me, angry with me right now or you feel depressed or you feel guilty about it and you're just going to this downward spiral down here. And that's rubbish as well. 
And it's only by grounding ourselves and rooting ourselves in the word of God that we go, hang on a minute, all these things. Listen, I just straight up with you on this. There's only two things going on in your head at any one time. All right, There's only two things that are influencing your life at any one time. One's the word of God and everything else is a lie. One's the word of God and everything else is a lie. Now, it might not, might not be an outright lie. It might just be based on a lie, but it's not truth. And if it's not truth, it's not good for you. And so where are you listening to? Where are you filling yourself with? Because if you've got one of these people who has this temptation to feel guilty, Romans 8 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is the truth. So if you're living under condemnation, you're not listening to truth. You get this. People go, oh, doctrine is not for me. No, no, no. Doctrine is absolutely for you. Doctrine is the very thing that all came through our worship. God is faithful. What is that? It's doctrine has come from the word of God. It's come from truth. We need to be a people who give ourselves seriously to discipleship, to growing up in God, which means we need to give ourselves seriously to growing deeper in the word of God. How do we do that? Because I'm very well aware that this can come across as a, you need to do more, you need to be better. It's not at all. This comes from an understanding of the grace of God as found in Scripture that we then experience as a work of the result of the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to the wonderful truth of who God is, who we are, and what he has done for us. The only effort in a Christian life is grace-driven effort. Understanding this gospel has changed me and shaped me and learning to preach it to myself every single day. Yes, I once was a sinner, but now I am made alive in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm loved with an everlasting love. I'm a son or a daughter. I'm a co-heir with Christ. He is the one who is for me. If he's for me, who can be against me? Preaching that to myself every single day of my life. And so because from that foundation of truth, I'm now going to live in this way, not looking to my past and my former way of life, not giving into temptation, not looking at stuff I shouldn't, not spending my money on things I know is not good for me, not hanging out with people I know are really not good for me, but instead I'm going to do everything to grow up in Christ and to love him and live my life according. That's the only effort we have in Christian life, grace-driven effort. And it doesn't earn you anything. It's because you're fully justified in Christ because of what he did on the cross for you means you can now live like this. Too many of us live blown around by stuff. It's not God's will for your life. God's will for your life is that you are steadfast and firm, not being tossed to and fro, but by growing up in maturity. And so many of us think maturity is like, like it is with kids. We kind of get bigger and bigger, and it's this gradual thing, and it's not. For most of us, we will be two steps forward, four steps sideways, three steps backwards, lying on the floor. Someone picks us up and drags us forward by our leg, kicking and screaming through the mud of life and the pain and the misery and everything. And then you get up, and you're like, oh, it's okay. And you make 15 steps forward and you're like, I've sorted it all. That experience is great. I've been through the decades, 30 years now, everything's great. And then something else happens and you, boom, wow, why is that going on? I don't know. But I know this, he's working everything together for the good of those who love him. And he's starting us on this process where the moment I became saved, I'm on this growing thing as a disciple, which is not going to go like that. It's going to go like that, but it is going to end up there one day face to face with him in glory. That's your trajectory. That's where you're heading. And Jesus' desire is that he will build his church. That's his statement. That's what he's faithful and that's what he's true to do. And as he's building his church, he's building it by growing people like you and people like me up in him. How do we grow? We fix our eyes on Jesus and we keep moving forward. So many of us, we say, I fix my eyes on Jesus 
and then I'm not going to come to church. Something's happened. But I'm still fixing my eyes on Jesus, and I'm doing this. I'm aiming that, but I'm still fixing. No, we're not. We're kidding ourselves. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is doing things which are good for us, staying in community, which is good for us, giving ourselves to the word, coming each week, not because it's some kind of, you must come every week to church, but because it's good for us to be surrounded in an environment of truth for a couple of hours a week, because most of the time we spend out there where we're being bombarded by anything but truth. And most of us, need, well, all of us need that sense of encouragement, that testimony of, of Chris, of wonderful, the faithfulness of God over many years. That does something to me. I was standing at the back because I was in tears. It's like, God, oh, that's amazing. That's why we do what we do. It's good for us. Brothers and sisters, we need to be a church that is serious about growing up in Christ, in love. For some of us, that means we need to get used to having hard conversations. For some of us, that means we need to get used to being told some uncomfortable things. For some of us, that means we need to be a bit more encouraging. For others, it means we need to be a bit less accommodating. For all of us, we need to recognize that we're not perfect. We will make mistakes. Someone will, in the intention of discipling you, make a complete and utter mess of it and say something they shouldn't. And they'll offend you and upset you. But if we're doing it from a place of we're going for unity and we're going for loving one another, we've got to be big enough and secure enough in Christ Jesus to go, I was hurt by the way you did that. But I want to love you and I want to forgive you. I don't want to reconcile. Because Jesus Christ has first of all reconciled me back to him. Thanks for listening to this talk from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk.